good people. Here we are. We're back. Episode 29 this week, right? I think so. Where are we over here? This is just uh, went to a random page of our of our outline. Guess we can uh, we can take this time to thank our sponsor of the podcast, Bits and Bits. What do you Way got to say about Oregon? Yeah, what do you got to say about Bits and Bits? Well, uh, I'm a happy user of their product. Yeah, that's and for we, sure. We've had them here in the shop for quite a while, and uh, one thing I like about them, I mean, aside from the quality product, is that they're all the way on the other side of the country, and a lot of times we need something when we need it, yeah. Not, like without planning, mm-hmm. uh, whether it is uh, a profile or uh, some sort of operation, we need a specific, you know, bearing orientation <laughs> or whatever. And we go, oh man, this is going to hold up this job. Yeah, we tend to fly, fly by the seat of our pants. Sometimes <laughs> we're like, oh, we could do it this way, but we need this bit. Um, so, you know, that's where Bits and Bits comes in a lot for us. You know, they get the stuff out fast. Um, so they offer a, a wide variety of router bits for CNC's, handheld routers, router tables, uh, eighth inch to half inch shanks, and cutting diameters of one thirty second of an inch all the way up to a half inch of uh, cut. That's on their spiral bits that they're making in-house. And uh, they coat all of those with their Astro coating, which is a proprietary nano coating designed to keep the bit running cooler and prolonging the sharpness of the cutting edge. Um, they're also the only factory authorized Astro coater of white side bits. Um, so they take white side router bits, which are made in the USA, aside from the bearings, apparently, and they Astro coat those. So that's a, a lot of what we use for, you know, let's say like a roundover bit or a chamfer bit. Uh, they last a really long time and they're really well-made bits. Um, and they also stock and sell Festool products, uh, mainly their router and domino accessories and consumables. So you can check them out for that. Use the coupon code American Craftsman to save 15%. And uh, that coupon code is valid until April 16th. So better get it in while you can. Yeah, that's substantial. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so a big thank you to Bits and Bits. And uh, let's get into the show. All oh, those crazy Victorians. Yep. I don't know what what's left to say about the Victorians after all this, but they're uh, pretty wild. Is this this is our this is the last episode, right? It's gotta yeah. be, yeah. Uh interior decoration and design of the Victorian period. Interior decoration and interior design of the Victorian era are noted for orderliness and ornamentation. Ornamentation in Victorian, you got you're kidding, right? Well, you know, I always like to start off with a little bit of a joke, a little exaggeration. <laughs> no, I mean we've been we've been at it for this is uh, our fourth week on the Victorians, yeah. and um, it was it was quite a period. Um, some highs and some lows. Yeah, we went through. Um, you know, the Industrial Revolution, the Civil War here in America. Um, and they had quite a sense of humor. Yeah. A very dark, macabre, and strange. Um, and I wonder how that affected uh, the design, or if there, it, it doesn't seem to. I mean, everything seems to be very florid and flounceful. Yeah. A lot of flounce. <laughs> And yet they had this real fascination with death. Yeah. Um, with frogs murdering <laughs> one another. You know, the freak shows and... Yeah. 
Um, kind of uh, similar, like a hundred years later, we're kind of living in a similar sort of mindset. I yeah, feel like. yeah. I remember when that was that was big again? Like all like uh, stretchy like things, people uh, piercing themselves and lifting up heavy objects and oh, stuff yeah, they, like that. They still do that. Yeah, they call that uh, suspension. When did that they, start? Like, put meat hooks in their back and then swing around. Like the 90s or? I don't know. Yeah. But the, I know it's still going on. Yeah, there was, that was, well, that was a, a Native American thing. Hmm. Um, Figures a little bit of that cultural, cultural appropriation. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, so uh, I, to tell you the truth, I don't even remember writing this episode. So this is going to come as quite a surprise. Interior this was probably decoration. a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I live in a Victorian era house. Let's see how this, uh, how this relates to the floor plan of my house. A house from this period was idealistically divided in rooms with public and private space carefully separated. Hmm. Okay. By doors, perhaps. Yeah. Um, the parlor was the most important room in a home and was the showcase for the homeowner's where guests were entertained. Yeah, I mean, you could see in my house, they have all like the, the old chestnut and the, the big, tall, solid wood wainscoting yep. and everything, the big pea stone fireplace. It's all downstairs. <laughs> then you get upstairs. It's all like, you know, pine floors yep. of fur and all paint gray doors, paint mm -hmm. gray molding. Everything's painted upstairs. Um. And the rooms are tiny. Like one of the rooms upstairs is only 10 foot square. Right. Whereas the room the that you walk into, it's as wide as the whole house. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And you got a pretty nice staircase. Yeah. On the, you know, the backside staircase, there's not even yeah. a banister. That's, yeah, that was the servant's. Uh... Right. And in the front side, it's got, you know, big baluster and a newel post. Mm -hmm. and Yeah. Nice landing. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense. Uh, a bare room was considered to be in poor taste. So every surface was filled with objects that reflected the owner's interests and aspirations. My wife must have been reading this. <laughs> Sounds like my house. She's a Victorian yeah. at heart. Oh, God. <laughs> the dining room was the second most important room in the house. And the sideboard was most often the focal point of the dining room. And very ornately decorated. Yeah, we saw a couple of those. Yeah, yeah. And and my, except for I, I have a tiny little kitchen, my whole first floor is only the two rooms. It's the, yeah. I guess what the Victorians would have called the parlor. We call it the living room. Mm -hmm. And the dining room. Yeah. That's it. That little thing tacked on the back was the back porch. Yeah. I think it actually was a butler's pantry at some point hmm. early in its history. Um, so Victorian walls. Uh, the choice of paint color in the on the walls in Victorian homes was said to be based on the use of the room. All right. Hallways that were in the entry hall and the stair halls were painted a somber gray so as not to compete with the surrounding rooms. So they were thinking this stuff out. Um, I wonder if this is, uh, the onset of interior decoration in that, 
way, you know, where they really started. Like the science of it? Yeah, thinking about like a reg- a home outside, like, you know, these palaces and stuff like that. Um, thinking about a home in a way where it was a complete suite. Right. Um, what was his name? Um, man, how soon we forget. Last week, the guy who's had the... Um, uh, he did the Vanderbilt room. He had Hester. He had, uh, Hester. He because he did carpet, wall panels, furniture. Um, uh, I can't remember now. I think I jumped up. I jumped up too far. Potter. Yeah. Let's Simon's, see. Why Horner? Was it Horner? No, it was the German guy, wasn't it? Rue. Herder. Herder. Ah, yeah, it was Herder. And we were a big fan of their work, too, as far as, you know, their, um, I would say, individual characters. Yeah. You know, they really made it. They stamped their own. Uh, it was the drawing room. The, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, Herder, yeah, Herder Vanderbilt yeah. drawing room. Yeah, that was the the one that was like insanely opulent. Yeah. Yeah. Was... So that's not exactly a like a regular house, but uh, I mean, for the Vanderbilts, how could it be? Um, but I guess this is the onset of you know whole house decoration and interior design services for the more pedestrian. Yeah, for the rest of us. The Festivus for the rest of us. That's right. Um, Most people, they marbleize the walls or the woodwork. Hmm. Wow, marbleizing the woodwork. Also on walls, it was common to score into wet plaster to make it resemble blocks of stone. That's interesting. Yeah. I never heard of doing that. No, me either. I mean, it seemed like it would be awfully cool like cold if your interior was made of blocks of stone yeah you know in in a even if it was just faux right finishes that were either marbleized or grained were frequently found on doors and woodwork graining was meant to imitate woods of higher quality that were more difficult to work well 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 here we go uh some some things change some stay the same yeah pine stains like walnut yeah yeah, if I could only get this boot off. <laughs> there were specific rules for interior color choice and placement. The theory of harmony by analogy was to use the colors that lay next to each other on the color wheel. Hmm. So the science, I mean, we did learn that science was big during this time and people were really starting to get into that. And now they're starting to apply it to things like interior design, uh, the color wheel. And the second was the harmony by contrast. That was to use the colors that were opposite of one another on the color wheel. Um, There was a favorite or a favored tripartite wall that included a dado or wainscoting at the bottom, a field in the middle, and a frieze or cornice at the top. This was popular into the 20th century. And uh, like a bad uh, editor, I did not include a picture of this. So 
Wayne's cutting at the bottom. Field in the middle and a freeze or cornice at the top. Yeah, that so makes sense. Three-part wall three part panel. Wall. Yeah. Data okay. were wainscoting, though. Yeah, I don't understand that. Yeah, we get the picture. Yeah. So Frederick Walton, oh, who created linoleum in 1863, created the process for embossing semi-liquid linseed oil back with waterproof paper or canvas. It was called Lincresta That's and a nice was applied name. much like wallpaper. Lincresta. <laughs> Lincresta. <laughs> yeah, I just recently learned that linoleum was made out of linseed oil. Oh. I had no idea. Yeah, that's the lin. That's the lin in linoleum. Did you ever have linoleum growing up? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, we, we all, in Brooklyn, we all had linoleum on the floor. And then every now and again, it would wear through. Shit, I got linoleum in my house now. Yeah. That I got to rip up. <laughs> well, look how long it lasted. Well, it's been covered up. Thank Frederick Walton for that. Yeah, thanks a lot, buddy. Uh, so, it was called Lincrusta. And it was applied much like wallpaper. And the process made it easy to then go over the oil and make it resemble wood or different types of leather. Hmm. Huh. I never knew that. Yeah. On the ceilings that were 8 to 14 feet, the color was tinted three shades lighter than the color that was on the walls and usually had a high quality of ornamentation because decorated ceilings were favored. What do you know about that? Getting fancy with the linoleum. So think about I mean, we just do see. In fact, there's so many white ceilings that there's actually a paint color. Ceiling white. <laughs> Ceiling white. Yeah. Um, you ever you ever done a, a painted ceiling outside of white? Yeah. eBay. Send me emails. Uh, I like a nice sky blue. Oh. Now, that it does sound nice. Where'd, yeah. you, where'd you put it? On the ceiling. <laughs> what room? Uh, I've done it in multiple houses that I've oh. worked on. Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, I didn't, I didn't do it. Oh, but not it was, your yeah, house. Not not my, your, no, yeah. no, no, no. Okay. All right. Yeah. So uh, furniture, we talked at length over the last few weeks. Uh, I guess this is more of a recap. There was not one dominant style of furniture in the Victorian period. That's for um, sure. Yeah. And even within these revival styles, um, Gothic, Tudor, Elizabethan, English, Rococo, Neoclassical. Um, what else was there? There was even a little bit of arts and crafts. There was Renaissance. Renaissance. Um, the designers used... Jacobean. Yeah, yeah. Good one. The designers used and modified these styles and combined them um, in all kinds of ways. My favorite was still the dog table. I like the dogs, <laughs> but I don't know. I like that uh, Hunzinger. Yeah, yeah, in all seriousness. Hunzinger and Herder made the biggest impression on us. Yeah. Um, but Gothic and Rococo revival styles were probably the most common. Uh, as far as furniture being built and sold. 
You can see the gothic influence there. Yeah, these trefoils at the top. Mm-hmm. I like this little inlay here. Yeah, yeah. Gothic furniture is very architectural in, in its style, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you could almost see these things as like little buildings or something. Yep. Uh, I I really like that that scribing on the door. I'm not crazy about like the flower at the center. Yeah. But I but I like the I like that scribing, you know that, like sort of, carving a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. See, it got a little damaged over here. Yeah. Feet I could do without. Yeah, yeah. These were a little, those bun feet. A little clunky. I'm a fan of the like rectangular bun feet, not so much the turned. So let's see it. Ooh, ooh. this is looking Jacobian. It sure is. Pennsylvania Dutch almost. Yeah. That's um, how, uh, with those little flowers on the side. Yeah. Got some uh, through tenons, wedged through tenons. It's kind of primitive. Yeah. Like, I would never pick that out as of the Victorian era because it, it looks so primitive. Yeah, with these... Uh, what do you call the uh, the floor de lis? Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. And the, the shape of the stretcher is, is kind of... Almost like New Mexican. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Um, the way it's it's it has such sharp angles, and then you know circles. It really does look Native American. Yeah, I could see this like in a in a Western church. Mm-hmm. Those things up on the on the back. Splash. No, down lower almost looks like a cat head. Little shields, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the shields. You can see the flex in the oak. Yeah. Gothic Let's see the Gothic Revival chair. chair. Oh, wow. Talk about a high back. Yeah. The back of the chair could easily be like the frame for a, a Gothic window. Yeah. Right? It's huge. Oh, it's a good picture. Dare I say Crockett's? <laughs> I was waiting for you. Wow, this is a really good picture. I wish they could all be like this. Yeah, I mean, you really zoomed, zoomed in. in. I mean, look at the, all the, the relief material in there, right? they took out on the inside. I mean, there's some amazing carving on this. The... The square, uh, I guess, you, what would you call those um, rails for the back? Uh, the styles. The, the little wheels. Oh, my God. And the front legs are even carved out like that, too. Yeah. Like, they, it's a square stock legs, but they took the middle of them out. Yeah, they howled them out. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Again, something you can see in a church. Yeah, very much. I wonder why the back legs are the outliers. You know, it's like they, they go through with this ornate design and then the back legs 
mean, they have that gentle curve, but they, it's almost like it's like a modern repair or something. Yeah. Maybe they just, they need the strength. All right. So we got Gothic Revival, and then the next most popular was Rococo Revival. This is by John Henry Belter. Let's see what he's got up his sleeve. <coughs> Excuse me. T went down the wrong tube. Whoa. Oh, that's a sofa. <laughs> Another super high back. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a pretty high back of upholstery, and then it's got that all that carving work on the top. Yeah, so let's say this is about 18 inches, then this thing's got to be 48 inches tall. Yeah, yeah. A lot of, uh, what is that, fruit and flowers? Yeah, it looks like, definitely looks like flowers. Again, with the little wheels. Oh, my God. I don't know how those wheels could support that big sofa with somebody sitting on it. I don't know. This looks like something like the queen in Alice in Wonderland would sit on. Yeah, it's got, uh, the back has a very interesting shape. I mean. It's kind of ominous looking. Yeah, like Cruella de Vil. Yeah. It does have like a <laughs> crown kind of shape. To yeah. It. I mean, the fabric is bright red, but it's got uh, an embossed dark red pattern uh, woven into it. Interesting. Let's see that uh, that uh, slipper chair. Yeah. Huh. Now we went through the slipper chair as one of the three main chair styles. Yep. And that's the spoon back. Yeah. The slipper. And the nursing chair. And the nursing chair. I believe the slipper chair was sort of to sit around the dining room table. Oh, I was thinking it was to put on your slippers. <laughs> You had a manservant for that. <laughs> Excuse me, James. My slippers, please. Um, that goes with that couch, that sofa, doesn't it? Yeah. The back of that. Um, yeah, I'm really tall. Uh, even, I think, like the the carving work in the middle of the seat, uh -huh. it looks similar to the carving work on the other one, if, unless... No, no, it's completely different. Yeah, this is like grapes and grape leaves. Yeah. And there are those wheels. Yeah, the ever-present tiny wheels. I do like the way the the styles that surround the, the back curve down and around. I mean, it's just a nice bit of work. Yeah, the blue and the this kind of reddish brown on the wood is nice yeah it's i mean I, I could never put something like that in my house but it's a nice looking chair so who was henry belter um early victorian era 1804 to 1863 he was an american cabinet maker active in new york city again another new yorker um and you got to be careful not to pronounce the name of his uh, birthplace because he is a uh, German by birth 
and he was born in Hilter. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to read from back here. Yeah. <laughs> Belter, another German by birth, born in Hilter near Osnabrück, Germany, and trained as a cabinet maker's apprentice in Wartenburg. Mm-hmm. He specialized in German Rococo carving, which later became popular during the Victor- Victorian era and is known today as the Rococo Revival style. He moved to New York City in 1833, uh, started a band called the Ramones. <laughs> oh, oh, no, that's the wrong notes. Becoming a citizen in 1839. Yeah, that guy was an Italian. <laughs> His shop, J.H. Belter and Company, was located during the years 1846 to 52 at 372 Broadway, downtown. Mm. Downtown. That's right. He's known. Well, should we wait for the compressor? You can't. You can't hear that in the background, can you? Yeah, it's uh, ambiance. Yeah, that that makes you know we are in the shop. You just got to talk over it. <laughs> He's known for developing a technique for processing laminated rosewood in many layers to achieve thin panels that, once shaped in molds through steam heating, were finely carved. Hmm. So all of that. Uh, scroll work and everything that was rosewood oh wow so it's like almost like plywood yeah this style became very popular in new york city and it was widely copied by his competitors in new york philly and boston sadly belter died in new york city and his business was carried on carried on by his brothers-in-law the string spring myers they might be Germans too. Could be with a name like Springmeyer. <laughs> you know what else was big in Victorian time? Greeting cards. Macabre greeting cards. But uh, wall covering and wallpaper, they wanted to cover every inch. So they had money to burn. Yeah, well, yeah, some of them did actually. Um, but uh, it became more available i guess the cost of production came down yeah one of the Uh, benefits of industrialization yeah so wallpaper and wall (laughs) coverings became accessible for increasing numbers of householders uh, with their wide range of designs and varying costs this was due to the introduction of mass production techniques and in england the repeal in 1836 of get this the wallpaper tax Introduced in 1712. Jeez. <laughs> I, re- I remember this now. <laughs> I had to look it up because I was like, what? People were pissed these days. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the wallpaper, get this, the wallpaper tax was a property tax introduced in Great Britain in 1712 during the reign of Queen Anne. Patterned, printed, or painted wallpaper was initially taxed at 1d uh, per square yard i'm not sure what the d is rising to 1s which is a shilling so that's equivalent to three pounds 71 as of 2020 um by 1809 uh so this is a good test for uh my uh, pea popping pattern printed or painted wallpaper Plosives. The plosives. 
pattern-printed or painted wallpaper was initially taxed. I'm going to say that at one pence per square yard, rising to one shilling. Yeah, well, that's isn't that the same thing? Uh, or no, sh- I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We don't know our old-fashioned British money. We, we only know the euro. Hey, listen, you got the money for the wallpaper back then, you better pay up. The tax was bypassed by purchasing untaxed plain paper and having it hand-stenciled. As noted, the tax was abolished in 1836. So, so you know, the, the rich people have had, they've had their loopholes since the, uh, since the beginning. They'd buy plain wallpaper and then just have somebody come in and paint it. Man, oh man. It makes me think of the farm tax get around that all the rich people have yeah. out here with their gentlemen farms. I think they did uh, kind of. They, they squelched that? Yeah, in New Jersey at least. That's good. If I can't get that tax break, I don't want anybody getting it. That's the way I want it. Uh, Wallpaper was often made in elaborate floral patterns with primary colors, which are red, blue, and yellow, for those of you who don't know, in the backgrounds and overprinted with colors of cream and tan. This was followed by Gothic art-inspired papers in earth tones with stylized leaf and floral patterns. Or floriate as they say. Yeah. So, uh, William Morris, we know him of the arts and crafts. Yeah. But he started in the Victorian era, and he was one of the most influential designers of wallpaper and fabric during the later half of the Victorian period. I remember reading that. Yeah, he was inspired by and used medieval Gothic tapestries in his work. And you can kind of see that. I like that. I I mean... it's like no matter what he does, it's good. Yeah. And this is in a modern home. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like a ball from Crate and Barrel there. Yeah. It's like some <laughs> rejuvenation hardware yeah. side table. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see some more Morris paper. Oh, I mean, that I wouldn't have guessed. Well, yeah. It's the, yeah. Same, it's the same damn table. Huh. Something's fishy. These are repros. I see. They just took that table and... And just uh, used it as their... This, the, this the, is probably just hanging. Yeah. So he did one that, you know, still a lot of... It's all nature-based. Yeah. Couple, one's this one's got birds. A little bird with strawberry in its mouth. Yeah. Some flowers. But repetitive patterns. Yeah. Not like those, not like a nature scene. This one looks like it's actually old. Yeah. That looks hand-painted to me. It does. It's like some finger painting right here. Mm-hmm. This one doesn't do it for me. No. More flowers, little tiny white flowers. and Looks too, uh, I don't know. The other ones, the, the repetition of them lent them a more graphic kind of feel more contemporary, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Where this one looks more like a scene. Good old W. Morris. All right. Oscar Wilde's aesthetic of Victorian decoration. Chief among the literary practitioners of decorative asceticism was Oscar Wilde, who advocated Victorian decorative individualism in speech, fiction, and essay form. Mm. 
Note, asceticism, late 19th century European arts movement, which centered on the doctrine that art exists for the sake of its beauty alone and that it needs serve no political, didactic, or other purpose. So I kind of understand that. Yeah, I mean. Art for art's sake. I wouldn't say it has to serve a political, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a requirement to serve a political, didactic, or other purpose, but it is certainly could. Yeah, yeah. But he's saying that he, he likes the idea that art just to be art yeah. is, is the way to go. Uh, Wilde's notion of cultural enlightenment through visual cues echoes that of Alexandra, Alexandra von Humboldt, who maintained that imagination was not the romantic figment of scarcity and mystery, but rather something anyone could begin to develop with other methods, including organic elements in pteridomania. <laughs> Do you know what pteridomania is? Obsession with ferns? Yes. <laughs> I told you the Victorians are a weird group. I wonder if that's where the Humboldt squid got its name. I wonder. Alexander von Humboldt. So he's saying that anybody could develop your imagination. I mean, some of these things seem silly now, but it's it's of the time and place, you know. Yeah, people are there. This was revolutionary that art should exist for art's sake. That um, you know anybody could have an you know develop Obsession their imagination. <laughs> Anyone can be obsessed with ferns. <laughs> uh, so, so by changing one's immediate dwelling quarters, one changed one's mind as well. Yeah, there you go. While well, believe that the way forward in cosmopolitanism began with a means to eclipse the societally mundane and that such guidance would be found not in books or classrooms, but through a lived platonic Epistemology. <laughs> Epistemology. The theory of knowledge with regard to method, validity, and scope. Again, science is coming into play here. This yeah. Is, um, and now it's going out of style. Yes. We got the flat earthers. <laughs> uh, so cosmopolitanism in political theory is the belief that all people are entitled to equal respect and consideration, no matter what their citizenship status or other affiliations happen to be. Fair so enough. these guys were very forward thinking. I mean, you could see this stuff is still under question today. You know, we think we have a very um, educated and well thought of populace, but they were arguing for these things, you know, 150 years ago, and we're mm -hmm. still searching for them. Yeah. Um, that's probably why I included it. I found that a little bit interesting. Plus, you know, it was a little bit of a side from the furniture. <laughs> like, like to broaden everybody's horizons out yeah. there. Um, the Victorian period. So let's summarize the Victorian era. The Victorian period was named after England's Queen Victoria, and it served as a very sharp contrast to the Shaker period, mm -hmm. which followed. Uh, Victorian furniture is formal, elaborate, and opulent. The upholstery of this period matched the ornate stylings of the wood with needlepoint and tapestry adorning many of the most intricate pieces. Black walnut, oak, maple, and ash were common building materials of the time, 
with rosewood inlays for contrast. Uh, did you know that during the Victorian era, furniture manufacturing shifted largely from handmade to machine-made, making it far more accessible? And because of this, Victorian furniture was an all-encompassing genre that included all types of furniture, from chairs, settees, and sofas, to end tables, coffee tables, beds, and case goods. And the humble charcuterie board. Oh, yeah. Ah, now I know why I, did. I couldn't think of the name of that tufted sofa, because it comes up here. Uh. Um, Victorian furniture remains widely popular today and has enjoyed longevity through its influences in the 20th century design. Chesterfield sofas, for instance, a staple of Victorian design, are arguably more popular in the 21st century than ever. I think we looked at these on the first, yeah, on the first episode. Okay. Yeah. Which is, that was like a month ago, so. That's why. No reason, no. Uh, <laughs> That's why I don't remember it. But everybody knows a Chesterfield sofa by sight. Yeah. Um, and it's it's like the lawyer's office sofa. Yeah. Could see sitting in that with a nice cigar. Glass yeah. Of. I mean, that one in particular looks really well broken in. Mm-hmm. Um, my girlfriend's dad used to have two. They were not quite sofas. I guess I'd call them settees because you could fit two people on them. Right. And they, they, uh, faced one another. So they weren't all that comfortable. His were kind of stiff. Hmm. Um, well, he was probably a stiff, so. He was, he was. Uh, revival styles of the Victorian era include Gothic. You guys are going to know this by the time we're done. Victorian yeah, Gothic better. furniture. There's going to be a test. That's right. And we're not talking one of those uh, fill-in-the-blank tests. No, all essay format questions. Yes. Long, long form long questions. Form. <laughs> no multiple choice. Victorian Gothic furniture took on this style of detailed carving and geometric forms and became a popular aesthetic in the 19th century. Intricate carvings mark out this style with wood such as rosewood, oak, and walnut used to craft the pieces. Heavy fabrics were often used, like velvet and leather. Um, designers favored the foliate motifs, and uh, they'd incorporate elements such as pointed arches, spire, spires, quatrefoils, trefoils, and our new favorite design element, the crocket. <laughs> Just a little protuberance. <laughs> now... It's probably the same exact link, but we have a Victorian fire grate of the Gothic Revival style. Here's the link. Let's see if it works. No. 404, page not found. Yeah, it was, it's probably expired. Do a little sleuth in here, see if we can. Um, nope. You know, fire grates were and mantles and surrounds were a great place to create a, a statement piece. Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, to some extent we, we do that work too, you know, we'll take a basic sheet rock surround and turn it into something. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's still a nice place to add some architectural interest. Put a miter uh, wrapped plywood box up there. <laughs> That's everybody's favorite. We, we know somebody who specializes in that. Yeah, everybody on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, hanging on a couple of plywood cleats, right? Yep. 
with with side grain on the ends. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, the Jacobean revival started in the 1870s and combined the trend for factory-made furniture with the Jacobean period. Everybody now knows that the Jacobeans were big on nice, heavy, solid, uh, rectilinear pieces. Yeah, you might have, that, you might have to use it as a shield, so it better be heavy. <laughs> That's right, the trestle table. <laughs> yeah, you might have like some Knights uh, Templar coming in there to kill you. <laughs> And, you know, if there were moldings and things like that, sometimes they would be applied because, again, you know, this is factory-made work. It all depends on, you know, the final destination. If it was for somebody, you know, wealthy, of course, it was hand-carved. If it was for the rest of us, it was... <laughs> You're lucky to get a few few grape appliques. Yeah. Um, knots were popular pieces of the time. Do you remember what a whatnot was? Yeah, like a tiered corner, typically a corner kind of yeah, shelf. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, dramatic fabrics, nature scenes, rich patterns. Um, but the overarching style of the Jacobean revival was rigid, solid-looking pieces with incised ornamentation. Um, I think we... Let's see. Do we have this uh, revival? No. Oh, there oh. it is. Oh, look at oh, the there view. he is. Yeah. There's Poseidon. The, yeah, he does the, have a little bit of a belly. He has quite a belly. But abs on top. This is the Nautilus fireplace. Um, pretty interesting. Need to get a close up on these uh, these dudes. Jacobean revival. And I'm almost kind of like Norse, maybe. Yeah, but is it? It makes me think Egypt with those intertwining serpents at the bottom, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess a lot of um, cultures use that symbolism. These are kind of like fruits. You see, they're mm -hmm. like apples or something. Yeah. This may not be as big as I thought it was because look at the grain. Oh, yeah. It had to be some fast-growing wood to be... Have, yeah, uh, it is kind of like a little mini fireplace. Yeah. Those capitals on the top. And that mansard roof uh, detail. Yeah. Castellated, if I recall. I mean, the wood looks... Nice to this day. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this must only be five inches or so. Yeah. Cool. Um, following the Jacobeans were the Rococos. It's the same one. Oh, no, oh look at that. Close up. That's the original view, I think. That's right. Rococo. The Rococos. <laughs> Born during the reign of Louis XV, the Rococo style represented an opposition to the classical forms of the Baroque. High style furniture of French influence is known for its love of the natural world. Flora, shells, and fruit motifs. The Rococo revival encapsulated the grandeur of the European style, which was an expression of 19th century romanticism. So like when we saw those cameos where the boy was serenading the girl and yeah. then they were kissing... 
I guess that was Rococo Revival. It's starting to get a little convoluted. It is, isn't it? Because they're all... They're all borrowing. And they're pretty similar, like, you know. And then by the time the Victorians got a hold of it... (laughs) They're just mishmashing left (laughs) and right. Let's take a look at this Rococo Revival. Uh, um, Oh, that's this this thing, yeah. I guess maybe this entire thing was mirror behind. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Now, didn't they say this was uh, a move away from the classical the, Baroque? Oh, okay. Opposition to the classical forms of the Baroque style. Okay, so the classical forms, generally like the columns and things like yeah. that, which... As we see, we go Rococo Revival. Now we're going to go straight back to the Renaissance. Yeah. Which embraces those very same things. Yeah. You know, a lot of classical, I mean, that's what the Renaissance was. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1850, a resurgence in interest for classical and Renaissance art and the furniture of this time took on these influences. So it's just seesawing back and forth between. Yeah. No, this way. (laughs) We're going to do it this way. <laughs> uh, Renaissance revival pieces are defined by bold features of of on heavy pieces, bold features on heavy pieces of furniture, a contrast to the feminine elegance of the Rococo style. Masculine arches, animal and human figures, dogs, rabbits, and the like, and fluted legs that imitated ancient Greek columns. Uh, let's see, we got this. The Renaissance Revival walnut chimney piece is a fine example of the Renaissance Revival style of furniture with its... T- oh, yeah, it's this is the one. one. Yeah. yeah. So it's a chimney piece. That's why it's so thin. There we go. There's the columns. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. And Renaissance Revival. All right. Yeah, that was that. That was that one. So there's also an arts and crafts influence segment of Victorian furniture and design. Um, but we want you to tune in next week for our introductory episode discussing the arts and arts and crafts school. Now that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's interesting. It looks. I mean, those circles there really create a much more modern look, don't doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, like aside from these little. Right. Sort of mid-century. Mm-hmm. I agree, 100%. If you took out those little scrolls on the corners. But this is the onset of the arts and crafts movement. Um, if you guys have been waiting for some meat and potatoes, uh, that's where it is. It's yeah, the it's arts and crafts movement. And it's going to start, uh, it's not next week. Next week uh, for us. As far as recording it, but yeah, so uh, it's gonna be like a month away. Yeah, for us, for you, it's next week. <laughs> oh yeah, if you're if you're listening to this, it is next week. Right, that's right. But for us, it's a month away. Mm-hmm. Um, so that wraps up the Victorian era. Yeah. Well, I mean, we kind of sped through this this episode, but I think we yeah. had. A, 
Oh, really? We had our fill of the Victorians and their macabre sense of humor. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of just a rehashing of a lot of the stuff that we already talked about in, in some of the earlier episodes, which was, it's like a rehash of a rehash. Right. Because they didn't really invent anything as far as style goes. The Shakers they? invented everything. <laughs> so they didn't leave anything. This is after that. There was, so nothing, there was nothing left after the Shakers yeah, invented it nothing all. Nothing left to be invented, so... But stylistically, they, they didn't have anything new. No. Um, they, they took what they liked from previous eras, combined it, or not just, you know, tried to reinterpret it. It was more a time of technological and uh, um, industrial yeah. changes. Yeah, change in the way money was, you know, handled finance, all those things played a big part in factories being able to develop. Um, I think my biggest takeaway is that there isn't one specific Victorian style piece of furniture. Yeah. It's just, it came of that during this, you know, bracket of years mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it could look like a, a, any number of things. Yeah, not so much the what changed, it was more the how. Yeah. How they built it, uh, how, you know, the dynamic of the builder and, and you know, the, uh, you know, how the labor was divided and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the apprentice is more or less gone. Yep. Um, and there's no direct contact with the client, between the craftsman and the client. Yep. You're just sort of, you know, you become a bench worker. What was that noise out there? I don't know. That was one big squirrel. Yeah. Um, and I guess for some people, that's that's okay. You know, they just want to sit at their bench all day and, you know, cut out the same little arch or scroll pattern or something like that. Yeah, I just come here, I carve these dogs every day. <laughs> what what happened to Rob? <laughs> he didn't come in today. <laughs> Couldn't do another dog. That's it. Well, I think that's all we got for you folks. Yeah. Um, I want to remind you, if you want to support the podcast, you can um, join our Patreon. You could also use... Uh, our coupon code at either Bits and Bits or at Vesting USA. So uh, help out the podcast. We've got our Amazon store. This is probably linked in there somewhere. Oh, yeah. Got some stuff on there you can check out. Uh, but, yeah, I guess we'll see you next week for the start of the arts and crafts period. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. All right, we'll see you guys next Take week. Take care.